Telling you, it's hard to keep up around here. First there was Kenny G, then there was Mikey D, and now there's Michael B. So thank you, man. Appreciate it, Michael, so much. The gift of music in so many different ways. And by the way, uh, if you're here for the Christmas Eve service, I hope many of you will be bringing a friend. It's, it's a service where we have all kinds of different music too. J.P. Leroy, one of our uh, other students, will be back with us. He'll be singing for us. Other folks sharing all kinds of different music. I think Mr. J. <laughs> going to be singing for us Christmas Eve too, right? So be a great night. Hey, everybody has a favorite Christmas story, right? So preachers have collections of these things. You know, I, I, I heard one once. I, I love this story about a boy named Joey. Somewhere around 10 years old, he was excited as you would expect any 10-year-old boy to be for Christmas at that age. You're still a time of great wonder and expectation. Christmas Eve arrived. The ground was white as snow. What more could you ask? A white Christmas, cold and clear night. His family did what they always did for their tradition. They, they loaded up. They drove to grandparents' house. That's where everybody met, where the presents were distributed. He was so excited, wondering what present he would be getting on this special night. And I don't know if it was this way in your family. It was in mine. If you could get a second to distract the parents, there would be this peering under the tree, right? Trying to figure out what present was for who and what might be. Some of you are shakers, right? You pick up the box and you shake it to see what's inside. And so that was one of their things. They tried to figure out. And he was a little troubled. He was looking around all under the tree, didn't see anything with his name on it. When he spots this big present in the corner, away from the tree, the biggest box, the biggest gift of all. And sure enough, when he tried to sneak a little peek at it, he could see the letters J-O-E-Y. Man, this guy put a grin on his face. He couldn't wait till dinner was over and when the presents would be distributed. And Grandpa, that was his job, of course. Now, Grandpa was, shall we say, uh, this task somewhat deliberate. He was not in a rush. He wanted to see what was going on. He wanted to bless every grandchild every child. And so he's calling them out one by one. And of course, because this is the biggest present, Joey has to sit there while all the other presents are given out. Finally, it comes time for him. And grandpa takes this present and he says, Joey, this one's for you. And Joey came ran, running up and he grabbed that big present and he tore open the package and inside he found what? What's in your mind right now? What do you think is a great big present? What are you remembering from your own experience? What are you remembering from your own hopes. Because we all have our ideas of what the best present could be, of what the best present might be. Maybe you were already picturing in your mind. Maybe you were remembering. Some of you had some pretty big smiles on your faces. You were remembering what that's like. I'll never remember the, I'll never forget the year my brother got the Dick Tracy car. I mean, we thought that was the coolest thing in the world. You know, 
And, and you see those different things over the years. Bikes are big. And if you, uh, I want to give a shout out to Barry Fortna assembling bikes from uh, people who, uh, who, who gave them to our children of the incarcerated for this year. And somebody's got to put those suckers together. We're grateful that, that, that Barry helped do that. that that's the different ideas about what the great best present is, which kind of begs the question, right? How do you measure the value of a present? How do you judge its ultimate worth? By, by size, by weight, by its cost, maybe by its usefulness. I hear some people say, oh yes, I got this for Christmas 25 years ago, still cranking. And, and we place a high value on a gift that endures. And so what I want us to take a few minutes to talk about this morning is God's present to us that has endured and shall forever endure a present symbolically wrapped up with bows on it, that big one in the corner, this biggest and best of all presents. And I want you to hear this from God's Word from the message version, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. This is how God showed His love for us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. What a great thought. What a great passage to guide us as we think about God's great present of Christmas love. And, and how do you measure the value of God's gift of love? Well, oddly enough, the book that we studied earlier this fall, Ephesians, there's a passage in there that when we studied it then, I thought, I'm going to save this for Christmas. It's a passage in Ephesians 3, begin at the end of verse 17, to talk about how we can measure the love of God. Paul says, and I pray that you, he's praying for people he loves, so consider this our prayer for one another. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. My friends, that is a grown-up Christmas wish right there. A spiritual maturity grown up. Christmas wish for all of us. That's big Christmas love. And Paul emphasizes the greatness of the love of God with this imagery, this multidimensional imagery about how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ. And that's important, folks. It's not in there by accident. It's important because it's only as we grasp 
the dimensions of the love of God for us that we can really be filled with the fullness of God. So for the balance of our time today, we're going to use this idea, this idea of the various dimensions of the love of God to us. And if you want to make use of your note page, it's been prepared for you. And you may want to jot down these five dimensions of the love of God for your reflection. So not just a 3D or a 4D or a 2D, but the 5D love of God. And I pray that you'll not just hear this this morning for these brief moments that we sit here together or for those who've joined us online, but as you reflect over these holidays, this is a great week to be reflective about the love of God, these days of Christmas remembrance and celebration. So let's talk about the five dimensions of God's love. First of all, God's love is an illogical Love. Now let's talk about this for just a minute because illogical does not mean stupid, okay? Illogical does not mean ignorant. Illogical does not mean unbelievable. It simply has to do with knowledge. And there are actually, in the Greek New Testament, the original language of your New Testament, there are eight different words that can be translated knowledge or knowing. And I want to focus in particular on two. The first is one that you've heard talked about many times. It's the Greek word gnosko. It it implies a personal knowledge that we gain through an experience or an encounter with someone. We'll often use it to point out that in the Greek Bible, that's what we talk about when Adam knew Eve. That's how intimate it was, the husband and wife relationship. But it's also used to talk about how we know God when Paul says that we might know Him and the fellowship of His sufferings and the power of His resurrection. That's gnosko knowledge that we know through experience or through relationship or encounter. But there's another word. It is the word oida which refers to knowledge that we gain through teaching or academically by figuring something out through logic. And that's what Paul is addressing here. He says, I want you to know this love, verse 19, that surpasses knowledge. He doesn't mean we can't know it and experience. He's saying it surpasses just something you can learn in your head. It's more than head knowledge. The love of God is beyond academics. It's beyond logic. Indeed, most of us come to say after a while, it doesn't make any sense that God would love me. It doesn't make any sense how much God loves us. And the amazing thing is, uh, I'd have to agree with that. It doesn't make any sense in a human way, but it is nonetheless true that God chose to love us this way. And before we leave this, I want you to know, Paul says, how do we gain this knowledge? Look at verse 18 for a minute. He says, "I, I want you to be established in love and have the power together with all the saints, together with all the Lord's holy people. And I I need for you to understand something with me today, please. Whether you're using an older translation that uses the word saints or a newer one that says all of God's holy people, that does not mean perfect people. Because unfortunately, all of our perfect membership has already left Pathways Baptist Church. There's nothing left but us sinners. (laughs) 
Nothing left but us forgiven ones who have been brought into God's family and adopted as his people. But there are no perfect folks here. That's not what he's saying. He said we need to understand we are in God's family now by virtue of the love of Jesus. And when we put our faith in him, that is what is necessary. Only as you are part of God's holy people, God's family, God's adopted ones, only if you're in that group can you understand the love of God. Without that, you cannot grasp it. Non-believers, he is saying, cannot fully grasp the love of God. Here's the great news. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be particularly erudite. You don't have to be a straight-A student, but you have to be saved to fully grasp the love of God. You can only know it through a gnosko, through a personal relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's how you come to it. So it's illogical. It is beyond logic. I mean, you tell me, what is logical about Romans 5.8? And you're sitting there thinking, I- I'm not sure. What is Romans 5.8 again? Oh, that's that verse that we love to quote. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love toward us in this, that his son died for us. I defy you to point out to me the logic in this statement. There's nothing logical about it. For us, we love those who love us. We love those who love us back. We love people when there's something in it for us. Paul, I used the word a moment ago, transactional. We always like to think, if I show this much love, how much love am I going to get back? What's the quid pro quo? That's the question we ask. And how is it that God showed the greatness of his love for us by sending his son while we were at spiritual war with him. We were sinning without a second thought. We were rejecting him. Yes, the Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. When we were rejecting him, when we were in conflict with him, when we didn't accept his claim, Lord, on my life, telling me what to do, setting parameters and guidelines and moving me in a direction, while we still didn't care about any of that, he demonstrated his love for us by sending his son. He still loved us. That's not logical. You cannot explain it academically. But if you are a believer, if you are indeed a Christian, if you have received Jesus Christ and tasted the love and the grace and the forgiveness and made him your Savior, then you can comprehend something that surpasses normal understanding. You can know the love of God. It's illogical, but it's yours. The second dimension of the love of God is that it is immeasurable. It's interesting. Paul uses measuring terms, doesn't he? The breadth, the width, the length, the height, the depth. And one time when I was studying this passage, this is not original to me, but I've always appreciated this wise person who explained the love of God and the fact that we can't measure it 
by pointing to John 3.16. And here's, here's what he said. He said, if you want to know the breadth of God's love, how wide is it? It's the world. For God so loved the world. If you want to know the length of God's love, how far would he go that he sent his only son, his only begotten son? What is the depth of God's love? That whosoever, how low can you go, low enough to get me? That's the depth of the love of God, whosoever. And what is the height of God? That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, raised to the heights, the breadth, the depth, the width, the length of God's love, all right there in John 3.16. Another place where I have been inspired to think about the love of God over the years is the hymn, The Love of God. It's, it's a beautiful one. I, th- I thought about singing it today. I, I decided instead to focus on this verse that I want you to hear. There's a verse The love of God is greater far. That's the hymn. That's the tune. There's a verse that says, could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? So imagine the skies as big as they are, just parchment. And if every stalk on earth, every blade of grass, every stalk of corn, every reed, every grain, every stem of wheat, everything, if every stalk on earth a quill. So you got, you, got, you got the ocean is ink and the sky is the paper and every single thing on earth, every stalk is a quill and every person is a scribe by trade. You're not just a lousy scribe, you're a professional scribe. If that's what we all did, if we all did, If we wanted to write how great is the love of God, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll, that's the entire sky, is filled like parts, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's how great the love of God is. It is immeasurable. The third dimension of the love of God it's intelligent. Oh, see, this is it's illogical, but it's still intelligent. Because you see, God's decision about loving us was not a wild shot in the dark. It was not a cosmic roll of the dice. God's love is not some wasted, naive, ignorant love by which the God of the universe takes some desperate chance that maybe someone, somewhere, someday will take him up on his offer. I mentioned earlier that we had looked at Ephesians this fall, and you may remember our very first message drawn on chapter 1. Just hear these verses again, verses 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. That means gifted us. Here's your Christmas gift. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us. There's no accident here, folks. It's an intelligent, decisive love. 
He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to the adoption as his children through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved one. It's an intelligent love. It's an intelligent love. God, before any of us, as we used to say, before any of us were a glimmer in anybody's eye, God had a plan for you, for me, from before the foundation of the world that we would be restored into a right relationship with Him and conformed into the image of His Son through love. Jesus is our Redeemer. It is an intelligent love. The fourth dimension is that God's love is an inclusive love. Now see, this is always where it gets tricky because there are people, wait, 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 wait. Are we being contradictory here? Because earlier I said to you, Paul says, not Ed Williams, Paul says in this very passage that in order to grasp, in order to understand the love of God, one had to be among the saints, amongst God's children, amongst God's adopted family. So, how can you be inclusive if it doesn't automatically mean everybody goes to heaven? Everybody's in. Because the biblical understanding of the word inclusive, the theological understanding of it, doesn't mean everybody. It means everybody who will. Whosoever will may come. Whoever receives him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. That's what the Bible says. Any and all are free to choose Christ, and any and all are free to not choose Christ. Whosoever will may come. And so listen, what does inclusiveness mean in the love of God? How can we say that with a straight face? Because God does not socially sift those who are in his family. God is not simply interested in those with royal backgrounds, with those for whom everything is coming up roses, people of wealth or status or whatever, Always remember that God loves inclusively regardless of ethnicity, gender, family background, occupation, regardless of anything and everything, God loves inclusively, holds out his open arms and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All we have to do is walk into that inclusive love. And then finally for today, the last dimension. God's love is an immutable love. And I love saving this one for last because you will remember our Ephesian study. You remember what we called it? 
We call it big words because there are big religious words that people don't use very often. And I got to say, it's been a while since I was walking down the street of D.C. and heard anybody throw out the word, oh yeah, you know, they're really immutable over there. No, no, nobody really uses this word much, so it's appropriate that our Christmas message on the big love of God would come from the big word, immutable. It's a big word that simply means this, our God is not fickle. You remember the fickle finger of fate? Oh, wherever it happens to land, that's not the love of God. That's not who God is. God is not fickle. His love for us does not come and go and ebb and flow with every emotional wind that blows. Or every time we fall back and backslide into bad choices, He does not take His love away. His love is unchanging toward us. It is immutable. Now, we have to acknowledge something here, folks. We don't always feel like God loves us. I love Jason's introduction today to the first song that we sang together of the worship set. When we're going through the fire, when stuff is hard, when we've gone through loss, and especially when we're dealing with that at Christmas season, it stinks. And we begin to think it's just not fair. It's too hard. It's a hard place to be in. If God really loved me, only good things would come my way. You know where you won't find that? You won't find that in the Bible. Because God speaks nothing but the truth. And God is not fickle. And God has said always, in this world you will have trials and tribulations. He has never hidden that from us. He's never been false about it. It always cracks me up when people, well, if God loved me, you wouldn't do that. Where do you get that idea? Not from the Bible, not from God himself. He never said it'd be a bed of roses. He never said it would all work out. Here's what he said. Even when you live in a world of imperfection with cancer and you live in a world of imperfection with heart trouble, both physical and emotional, even when you live in a world of inequitably distributed wealth and birth defects, and disabilities and problems and, and unfaithfulness and all kinds of stuff. Here is the beautiful thing. God says, I love you and that will never change. Whatever comes, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will not leave you comfortless. Whether circumstances are good or bad, God's love for us does not change. It is immutable because God's goal for us is not to keep us in good circumstances, but to keep Him in a right relationship with us. The Bible does not say God sent His Son into the world so that we would be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It says He sent His Son into the world that through Him we might be saved. God's plan is so much higher to make us more like Jesus. And His love for us is immutable. God's love, God's big love at Christmas. That's why he sent his son. That's why Jesus came to a manger some 2,000 years ago on a Bethlehem night. It's why the eternal son of God took on human flesh, became one of us, 
walked in obedience to the Father's plan for his entire life, all the way to the cross, into the tomb, and through the resurrection. And it is my prayer that we might all know this 2019 Christmas season, that we might know along with all the saints, with all the people of God, with all of God's adopted family, the fullness of God that comes from knowing the dimensions of God's great big Christmas love to us. Let's pray. Father, to the gift of your love, we say thank you. We say, come, Lord Jesus, pour out your love. Help us to grow in it towards you and towards one another. Help us to honor this Christmas season today and each day by being mindful of a love that is given in grace, that is given with love, a, a gift that, that changes us forever. Thank you for the gift of Jesus and the love that is ours through him. And all God's people agreed and said, amen.